discipleship. Let's turn together to the word of the Lord in the Gospel of John. We're continuing our series about backcountry encounters. Sometimes when we encounter things in uninhabited places, it can be an adventure. Sometimes it can be terrifying. And most of the time we can learn something because there's a backcountry in our souls too. And today we're talking about uh, the dark of night. And there's a dark of night within us as well as there is uh, at the turn of every day. And so let's hear the story of a man who met with Jesus at night. We'll actually start with the end of the second chapter, starting in verse 23. When he, this is Jesus, when he was in Jerusalem during the Passover festival, many believed in his name because they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, would not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to testify about anyone, for he himself knew what was in everyone. Now there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. And Jesus answered him, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. And Nicodemus said to him, How can anyone be born after growing old? Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I have said to you, you must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. And Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? And Jesus answered him, Are you a teacher of Israel and you do not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and testify to what we have seen. Yet you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descends from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish but have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. My friends, this is the Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in Your sight. For You are our rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. So I say, if you're going to get a flashlight, get a flashlight. 
Because see, there are flashlights and then there are flashlights. You see, I think I, I could signal aircraft with this thing. I really do. Uh, some of y'all might know particularly what this one. I mean, this thing is bright. This thing is, this thing is terribly bright. It's got a 180 degree throw. I love this thing. Naturally, you know what I use this for, right? Deer. No, I'm just playing. I don't do that. Um, Am I throwing this in your eyes, Judy? I'm almost doing it. I, I use it to see in the dark. That was an obvious question. I'm going to throw a lot of great logic at you today. I, I use it to see in the dark because I don't want to walk to the kitchen from my bedroom and have my little yappy dog jump out from behind a table and scare me to death. I also, and this would be the worst, I don't want to step on Barbies or Legos. I just don't want to do it anymore. I've had my day, thank you very much. Nothing hurts more than a Barbie high heel. It's, and I've had root canal. Now, the dark can be frightening, so we want to see in the dark, right? But this flashlight can be scary, too. Let me prove it to you. Who wants to come up here and let me shine this in your eyes? Nobody. No, I know. You can volunteer other people. I get that. Yeah. This thing is, this thing is terribly bright. In fact, I'm still seeing spots because I had it a little on my end. When I pull this out and uh, play with the kids, I'm like, I'm going to get you with a flashlight with the light part of it. They're like, no, no, that thing is so bright, I can't. I don't even like to look at it. So in some ways, the dark is terrifying because, you know, what's in the dark? But then if you've been in the dark for a long time, the light is kind of terrifying. Isn't that interesting? You've been in the dark for a while, the light becomes terrifying. You know this when you're trying to sleep and somebody, for some reason, needs to turn on the lights in your room or opens the blinds or the curtain, and some of you are going, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. When your eyes are used to the dark, the light is, it's alarming. It's, it's, It's big and blinding. And the same thing's true not just with this flashlight, not just with your blinds, but the same thing is true in our spiritual lives, is that our hearts can get used to being in the dark. And then when the light comes, we can shy away from it. Our hearts and our spirits can get adjusted to the dark so that the light becomes terrifying to us. The Bible will tell us if we were to continue to read in John chapter 3, Jesus says that there are some people who won't come uh, to me, he says, because I am the light of the world and they don't want their sin to be exposed. But when we get used to the dark, the light can be kind of alarming. But Jesus is, as John will tell us, the light of the world. And an encounter with Jesus, listen to me, will change your life. It will absolutely change your life. But I think I want to be a little honest with you about what that experience might look like. Um, Because when we encounter Jesus, before the transformation, that encounter might be a little bit uncomfortable, like getting a light shined in your eyes and you've been in the dark for a long time. That's kind of like what Nicodemus discovered. Nicodemus, old Nick. I call him Nick at night. It's easier that way. Nick. He's a a leading religious leader in Israel. He is a a prominent figure, and he has an encounter with Jesus in the dark of night, and it's like that encounter shines a bright light straight into his soul. Now, let's take a look at what happens. Here's how the story goes. So Jesus travels to Jerusalem for the Passover feast. He lived in the north, but the Jews would go down to the temple in Jerusalem three times a year for their various feasts. And so it's Passover time, and Jesus is there. And while he is there, 
he's doing all kinds of miraculous signs. There are things happening that are literally out of this world, and crowds of people, the Bible tells us, are believing in his name. Crowds of people. But their belief, it turns out, was superficial. Now, take a look at uh, this in John chapter 2. This is after, tells about all the people who are following and interested. It says, but Jesus didn't trust them. Another translation will say he didn't trust himself to them because he knew all about people. No one needed to tell him about human nature for he knew what was in each person's heart. It's already just Jesus shines a light into people's hearts. He knows our motivations and our hidden thoughts. And Jesus knows that this crowd of people is more interested in what he can do and who he is. And so he's not going to trust himself to them. The crowd loved miracles. I mean, who wouldn't love that? Who would not love that? Healings? Anybody? Sign me up. Anybody? Yeah, come on, let's go. I stubbed my toe, but I'd still like a healing. Let's see how that happens. Blessings? Anybody? No? Sold out? Count me in. A religious magic show? Why not? Why not? Get me tickets. But one person in the story sees something more than all of that. More than spectacle. More than what they could gain. He saw the power of God at work. And I think that's why Jesus entrusts himself to Nicodemus in this story. That's Nicodemus, the Pharisee. He's a, that word Pharisee is a big church word. It's a, a group of highly devout religious Jewish people in the Bible who held to a very strict interpretation of the law of Moses. The idea was the reason that God was not redeeming uh, the, the nation of Israel and the Messiah was not on his way is because the nation wasn't pure enough. And so if they would just follow as exactly as possible the law of Moses, the actions prescribed in the law, then they would be pure enough to receive God's redemption, uh, freedom from Rome, etc., etc. It's all in good faith. You've got to think about that. Logically, that makes a lot of sense. I know the Pharisees get a bad rap uh, in, the, in the Bible, but that, that makes sense. But this is Nicodemus. And he's not only a Pharisee, but he's highly influential, which means he's really good at it. He's become uh, what the Bible calls a leader of the Jews. And so this is a man of high religious expertise, looked well upon, and an example for people. And so I wonder what this top-of-the-line religious man thought when he steps out of the temple one day and he sees a ragamuffin rabbi from Nazareth and a bunch of people, and this man is healing people and casting out spirits, blessing people, And doing these amazing things that only God can do. I wonder what went through his mind. There's a great show out right now called The Chosen. Has anybody heard of The Chosen? Amanda and I have. Anybody else? You're about to hear about it. It's actually the very first multi-season drama based on Jesus' life. And you you can only get it through an Android app or an iOS app or if you've got a smart TV. 
If you want to watch it, I'll help you figure it out. It's, it's actually really good, um, captivating. Uh, we've been watching it. And so now, of course, in order to make a multi-season story about Jesus, you've got to have to dramatize and, you know, get a little bit fictitious with things. They're, they're doing the best they can, but they have to add some things in to make it work. That makes sense, right? So it's not scripture, but still in the first season, there's an arresting portrayal of Nicodemus. He's come, uh, again, remember, this is just part of the story they're telling. It resonates with scripture, but some, he comes up from Jerusalem and to this village, and he is top big deal. They roll out the red carpet, and they are just so excited for the rabbi from Jerusalem. And so he goes in with, uh, he's vested pretty well. There's a picture of him right up there, actually. He's, he's dressed well, and he's, everybody wants him to read their Torah and come to their Passover. And he's there with some people when some folks call him. See, there's a demon-possessed woman here in town, and we need your help. Because who else are you going to go to but the rabbi from Jerusalem to solve your problem? He's terrified. He doesn't know what to do. This is not something he deals with. It's not quite proper. And so he goes over um, and he sees this woman and he's face to face with complete darkness invading this human being. And all he can do is stand there and try to pray every prayer he's ever read. But he can't help her. He leaves her the same way that he found her. And later on, he actually ends up seeing her in town an episode or two later. And she's completely healed. And he thinks, I did it. Thank goodness. And keep my title. But it turns out he didn't do it at all. It was Jesus who had done it. It was Jesus who had done it. And that really throws Nicodemus into a, a dark night of his soul. Because if anybody's supposed to be able to do something, it should be somebody like him. But it's like he's dedicated his whole life to a powerless enterprise. And here he's finally seen the true power of God. All he's able to do is speak flowery words and serve the Passover with golden dishes. But here somebody really has the power of God. Now that is a part of the story of the show for sure. That story's not in Scripture, but I love it because it makes me wonder if that's what Nicodemus thinks and feels when he sees the power of God at work in Jesus. Wow, I couldn't do that. God's not in my life that way. And I wonder if that's why he goes at night to talk to Jesus. Maybe because everybody's finally gone to bed and he can finally get a moment. Maybe he just needs to really investigate. And there's nothing like going out at night when your spirit feels dark to make that happen. So he comes to Jesus at the nighttime. And he comes with great words of respect. I feel like he really wants to learn something from Jesus. Look at what he says. He says, Rabbi. It's like... He's given a title of religious teacher by somebody with authority. This is high respect. Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher. For no one can do these signs unless God is with him. Unless God is with him. Jesus' response just strikes at Nicodemus like he's shining this bright flashlight in his eyes. It's interesting what he says. The moment that Nicodemus finishes, Jesus says, I tell you the truth. Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Not high. Not 
thank you. That's a really nice compliment. Yeah, I did do some pretty cool things. Not, wow, thank you for noticing. I'd really like to get together sometime, maybe meet your family. No, it's you can't see God unless you're born again. Jesus is great with social graces. I think he and Emily Post would get along. Nicodemus sits out that night. He's got a question, but everything else is in good shape. He's got the social standing. He's got respect. And he has listened to me. He has proper religion, which is what people are supposed to have. And then Jesus says to him, you must be born again. Born again. I wonder what Nicodemus thinks, but I've lived a disciplined life. You know, the 613 laws in the Torah, the Mishnah, and the Talmud, I do those things. I teach those things. But you must be born again. Born again, but I was born already into Judaism, into the chosen people of God were my great-great-great-great-grandparents. And Jesus says, still, you must be born again. Born again, but that's what we say to people who convert to Judaism. I've been doing this my whole life. But still, Jesus tells him, you must be born again. And it's with these words that Jesus reveals the truth that Nicodemus can't see in the dark. Words that are true for us. Despite your genealogy, no matter who your mama and daddy is, despite your status, despite anything you can do, Without being born of the Spirit, we are lost. We are lost. We can be physically alive and spiritually unborn. We can be physically alive and spiritually unborn. Can you all hear me okay? I'm getting a little froggy up in here. All right, just raise your hand if you need me to start signing. Because I'll have to go learn how to do it real quick. So let's unpack this real quick, because that's a bold claim. Everyone who is alive has been born. There's your philosophy for the day. I went to seminary to learn that. If you are alive, you have been born. Ta-da! Our hearts, they pump blood. Our lungs breathe air. And yet, on our own, we are not fully alive. Our bodies may live, but we are not fully alive. Why not? Because of sin. And when I'm talking about sin that prevents us from being fully alive, you need to understand that I'm not talking about the way that you see it on TV, like my good deeds need to outweigh my bad deeds on some cosmic scale. We're talking about the brokenness that every human being is born into since the fall of humankind. That leads us to be broken in the image of God that we were created in. That leads us to hurt and to hurt others that leads to the mistakes that we make. It doesn't matter who we are or how good we have been or how much good we do. Outside of Christ, we are all corrupted by sin. Every man, every woman, every beautiful baby is marred by sin. My babies were beautiful. But after that first diaper change, I was like, yeah, this kid's a sinner. Except my daughter. I'm kidding. No, she's a sinner too. Right, Amanda? But so am I. Our bodies may be alive, but we're spiritually unborn. We can see with our eyes, but in a spiritual sense, we are blind unless we are born again. 
We can be physically alive, but spiritually unborn. I want you to listen to how John Wesley puts this. He's the founder of Methodism. He says, though someone is a living person, without new birth, they are a dead Christian. Though a person is a living person, without new birth, they are a dead Christian. But when we confess Jesus Christ as our Lord, when we repent and turn away from our sins and seek the forgiveness of God, we are made right with God. Our slate is cleared, praise the Lord, right? I don't know who else has done some terrible things, but I'm glad my slate's clear and you can't see it. But it's not just that our slates are cleared and we've been admitted into heaven. It's not just the, the legal cleansing of our record. Something else is going on too. We are justified, but God works a work within us as well. We are made new. We are Our soul is filled with the presence of God. We are given a heart that is open to true living righteousness with God. We call this new birth, or the theological term, regeneration. I think Jesus' words are simple and perfect. That's being born again. It's when God works this in our life. Because when we're born again, there is a, a total change that begins at work within us. We are created new in Christ. The image of God is renewed in us. We are given the yearning and the possibility for true righteousness and holiness. Our love for the world is transformed into a love for God. Our our pride into humility. Our malice and our envy and our hatred into a true and tender love for other people. From the inside of our lives out, we have a fresh, happy, and joyous new start. That's born again. That's what Jesus is talking about, is that work of God within us when we yield to God in salvation. Now, I think that Nicodemus is a pretty good case study for those of us who have spent a lot of time in the church. I think Nicodemus is a good person for us to look at if we've spent some time in the church because he's a religious person. He, um, he's at every church service or at least once a month or whatever normal is now. He acts morally. He does all the right things. Nicodemus, like many of us, is the outward model of a person who walks with God. Yet Jesus tells him he must be born again. Interesting. Why is that? Because Nicodemus relies on his outward activity when God wants his heart. Above all things, God wants his heart. You know what the Apostle Paul calls it when we have the outward appearance that doesn't match the interior reality of our hearts? Paul says that that is having the form of of godliness without the power. He says that in 2 Timothy. You know that Jesus would call some of the Pharisees who have that uh, reality in their life, he'd call them whitewashed tombs, graves filled with death and decay that are painted to look nice. And we've heard what John Wesley calls it. It's called being a dead Christian. 
the outward model of perfect religion, but Jesus wants our hearts. I wonder if that speaks to anybody in a particularly convicting way today. Let me tell you a little bit about John Wesley, a little bit more about what John Wesley had to say. He has a sermon conveniently titled New Birth, and I want to share that with you in a little bit more modern language. So I'm going to take a minute here and just share a part of that sermon with you. He says, Whether you are baptized or unbaptized, you must be born again. Otherwise, it is not possible to be inwardly holy. And without holiness, you cannot be happy even in this world, much less in the world to come. And Wesley uh, does a mock conversation. He says, you might say, but I don't hurt anyone. I'm honest. I always do the right thing. I do not curse. I'm not a drunk. I'm nice to my neighbor. I don't sin on purpose. If that's so, Wesley would respond, I wish everyone went as far as you do. But you must go farther yet, or you cannot be saved. Must be born again. Do you say that I do? I do go farther yet. For not only am I not mean to anybody, but I do all the good that I can. Well, I doubt that fact. And I fear that you have had a thousand opportunities for doing good, which passed you by unimproved, for which you are accountable to God. But if you really had done all the good you possibly could, this doesn't change anything, Wesley continues. Still, you must be born again. But I constantly do the things I'm supposed to. I go to church all the time. I'm on committees. He didn't say that. I added that part in. I go to Sunday school. I pray. I take communion. And it is well that you do. But all this will not keep you from hell except you be born again. Go to church twice a day. Go to the Lord's table every week. Say ever so many prayers in private. Hear ever so many good sermons. Read ever so many good books. And still, you must be born again. Because none of these things stand in the place of new birth. Wesley says, if you have not already experienced this inward work of God, let this be your constant prayer. Lord, add to this, add this to all of your blessings. Let me be born again. Deny whatever you please, but deny not this. Let me be born from above. Take away from me whatever you see fit, reputation, fortune, friends, health, only give me this, to be born of the Spirit and to be received among the children of God. Let me be born again. John Wesley, with some important words. An encounter with Jesus can bring us to crisis. Jesus is sweet and kind, and I just imagine that if I walked up to Jesus, he would give me everything I wanted, but sometimes Jesus is going to tell me everything he wants from me, and that is more than my outward expressions of goodness. It's more than even going to church. It's more than doing right. It's a recognition that without him, we are not fully alive. That he wants our hearts. And everything that we think that makes us something ultimately amounts to nothing. And the only thing that matters is new birth by the Spirit in the name of Christ. 
Now, those are hard words that, that even Jesus tells Nicodemus, but he doesn't say that to judge. He says that to love and invite. He gives us truth to invite us into this salvation, into this next step of new birth. He came to share that we might be born from above so that you and I can experience the fullness of God's power in our lives, deep in our souls, so that we can know the love of God deep within and so that we can have the assurance, all assurance, that our hearts are truly saved, that our lives are truly saved. Let me leave you with this. Jesus wants more than your admiration. Jesus wants more than your moral living. Jesus wants your whole heart. We'll see Nicodemus again, this time in the light. He publicly stands up for Jesus, praise the Lord, even assists in Jesus' burial. I think that Nicodemus heard the call to be born again. I wonder about us. I wonder about us. Do you yearn for that inward work of God? If you already have it, praise the Lord. If you don't, we're going to leave this prayer up for just a minute. It's the prayer from Wesley. And it might be something that you could take deep into your soul. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for new life and your love. And I ask that you'd speak to us right here today. That whoever is feeling that stirring of the Spirit would have the courage to say, Yes, Lord, let me be born from above. Let me be renewed in this place in my life that I have let life fallow. Make me alive in my spirit that I might love you with my whole heart. Amen. Amen. I'm going to invite you as we